left, right, left, right, left, marching, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, march, march. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am Timothy Lawson, and you are listening to Fuel for Warriors, a podcast collaboration between Lawson Entertainment and Lock and Load Java to bring you interviews from military veterans, athletes, and others that resonate with the idea of being a warrior. This week's guest is Ryan Tate. He's the co-founder of VetPaw. You may be familiar with the organization after a few articles came out, maybe a two or three months ago on Knessa Johnson, who's an army veteran who sort of got the spotlight for being a part of this or a part of VetPaw as they go to Africa and tried to battle poaching. And so it was, it was a really fascinating idea and organization got a lot of, uh, a lot of attention uh, when Knessa's articles came out. And I was lucky enough to get a interview with the co-founder, Ryan Tate. He's a Marine, and he's definitely a warrior. So I'm going to let Carl Churchill, co-founder of Lock and Low Java, say a couple words, and we'll get on to our interview. Enjoy. Hey, Warriors. This is Carl Churchill, co-founder and chief coffee officer of Lock and Low Java. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our friend and fellow veteran Tim Lawson as he interviews risk-takers who've embraced the warrior ethos. I know you'll love our guest today. And when you're finished with the episode, head over to LockAndLoadJava.com and use the coupon code FUELFORWARRIORS to receive a 10% discount on our premium coffee and cocoa. Stay motivated, my friends, and keep challenging yourself. All right, Warriors, this week on the show, I have co-founder of VetPaw, Ryan Tate. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. You are a Marine Corps veteran and the co-founder and president of VetPaw, which is an organization that fights poaching, which is something I didn't even know. I, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't like my guidance counselor never told me that would be a career opportunity, uh, but apparently you're doing it. Yeah, uh, mine didn't tell me that either. It just kind of, I just kind of crashed into it. Um, but yeah, essentially what we do is we take post 9/11 veterans um, who have served in Iraq or Afghanistan. Uh, to, to Africa to use their skills to train park rangers and and uh, some of the things that translate from you know combat to fighting poaching and uh, you know uh, many terrorist elements in Africa uh, are supporting poaching and, and funding some of their operations off of it so it's a really unique opportunity for veterans to uh, get back to work doing the things that they're good at um, for a good cause so um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's essentially what we do, you know, in a nutshell, Yeah. Um, but we don't actually fight poachers. We, we, you know, it's kind of an advise and assist and, and we just kind of guide them in the right direction. Very well. I definitely have plenty of questions revolving that. Um, but you know, this is clearly, I mean, you're, you're taking veterans and putting them into this space. There's definitely uh, the you know the essence of the warrior definitely exists here. So when you hear the term warrior, Ryan, what comes to mind? What are you envisioning? Sure, I guess when I went into the Marine Corps, I thought a warrior was. Um, I think you said in a couple of your other shows, you know, fighting dragons in the Marine Corps commercial. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, over time, especially when I hit the Marine Corps, you know, it kind of it kind of is true. I mean, going out and, and doing manly stuff with a lot of testosterone. But but to me, a warrior is someone that you know, uh, fights for something that they're passionate about and, uh, you know, just always does the right thing at all costs. Um, 
you know, someone who's willing to go above and beyond and, and um, you know, really test themselves to do the right thing in any given situation. Um, I hate to sound, <laughs> I hate to sound, um, you know, uh, I don't know the best way to put it, but, but uh, you know, Marines are warriors to the fullest extent, but, you know, just a warrior in life is just someone that does the right thing in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So then how, um, you know, with your, you know, as we get into your efforts with VetPaw, how do you think that translates? Yeah, you know, what made me start VetPaw is um, essentially what I just said. It's just, you know, I found out about, you know, the unfair um, situation with poaching and how it's um, impacting economies and, and the livelihoods of entire countries and parts of an entire continent. And so to me, that wasn't okay. And I knew that I had the skills that would translate and could help the, uh, the wildlife, but also the poachers that die every day um, due to, or excuse me, the, the park rangers that die every day because of poachers. So um, that was kind of, you know, my calling, um, you know, to become a warrior again and, and get out and do what's right and fight for yeah. what's right. So how did you how did you learn about this? Like, you know, I think we all know that poaching is like, is a thing, right? We understand what it is. And I think when the word poaching comes to mind, Africa is the setting that we all think of, but how did you genuinely learn about the actual crisis that was going on? Yeah. Like you said, I didn't have a lot of knowledge about it and I knew it existed. And, you know, one thing that um, happened to me at war, I think like a lot of others is that you just kind of get a firsthand experience of how destructive humans can be. And so because of that, when I got out, I, I just kind of took, you know, I, I found therapy in, in caring for wildlife. And um, so I was this Marine that served in Iraq and, and, uh, and here I was at, at local animal shelters in New York city using my nice DSLR camera and taking pictures and for the, the websites of the shelters and whatnot uh, to help the adoption rate and cleaning up and just volunteering my time. And, um, but that was about the extent of what I did for wildlife or animals um, until, you know, one night I decided to watch a CNN special on the Tusk Trust Foundation. Um, and normally I'd, I would, you know, protect myself from seeing brutalities, uh, the brutalities of, of poaching or animal abuse, because if I can't control it or I can't make an impact, then I don't want to see it. You know, I hate to be, um, you know, ignorant, I guess, but it's just why bother myself with it or stress myself about it if I can't, you know, help with it. But when I watched this, this show, which I thought was actually going to be pretty, you know, an, a nice family show. And then turns out, you know, you see a rhino still alive because they tranquilized it, cut its face off. Cause you can actually cut a, a rhino's horn off the correct way. You can actually remove it without injuring the animal. Um, huh. But they don't have the time for that. It takes time. So they would they dart it, put it to sleep, cut its face off, and then it would wake up and die this painful death. But when I saw that one rhino with its face cut off and just seeing the confusion in the animal's eyes, um, it hit me really, really hard. And I kind of I just got that calling again like I did to join the Marine Corps. And uh, I called out of work um, for a few days and uh, because it hit me so hard. And that's when I just decided, you know what, I got to do something here. Um, I wasn't happy with where I was and I was grateful to have a job at the time, but I, I just wasn't happy with it. And so, yeah. So what, 
So what, yeah, well, what was that thing? What you know, like, did you just did you pack up your M16 and run run to Africa and start mowing down poachers? Like, what action did you take? Yeah, I mean, I was ready to to go Jason Bourne in the African bush. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, mom was like, no, you're not going to Africa, and you're definitely not going to go over there to hunt down you know poachers or something. Um, but you know what I realized is you know I have an opportunity, especially after speaking to fellow veterans about it. Like, have you heard about this man? You've heard about you know what's going on with with elephants and rhinos and wildlife in Africa, and they all kind of look at me like I'm crazy. But my good friends would would get off the phone with me, and they could tell I was was bothered by it. It was weird. I was calling them to talk about elephants and rhinos, and uh, <laughs> and so you know they would call me back a couple of days later and like, hey man, I I looked into that. It's that's really tough stuff, man. We should do something about this. And uh, so we get all motivated and stuff. And at the time, I was working for the Department of State. So I, I decided, you know, what, let me explore maybe a government opportunity here to fund something like this, um, which was a little that was a reach for sure. But um, uh, but that's where it started. And when I put together a proposal, um, I had a he's a former U.S. ambassador now to the United Nations. But at the time he was he was acting and, and he supported it and gave me a lot of uh, motivation and, and encouragement to keep going. And, and so once I, you know, I was in my mind, I'm like, yes, this is going to be a government program. And then when I realized it wasn't, I decided, well, I'm, I'm not stopping now. So, so when, uh, when I had my career threatened a couple of times at the state department for kind of stepping on toes, you know, um, I wasn't trying to, but it's a minefield, that department. So that's when I said, you know what, I, I'm done here. I, it's time to go. Um, I was really emotionally invested in this and it was my calling. So that's, I love that. I love, I love callings and I love people taking action on them. Those are great. Things. Is it cliche now to call it a calling? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Cause I think, um, I think we call it a calling because we, I think we, I think a lot of people call things like this a calling because they want to give it a title that makes it seem like it's almost out of their control. Yeah. You know, people, they'd almost like, well, I have, like, I'm obligated to do this, right? This is like a calling. I'm not even, do- like, I'm not even doing this. Someone else is calling me. And I think it, <laughs> I think it helps people make that leap. Yeah. And, and being able to call it a calling. If you just say, this is what I want to do, people are like, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, it's a calling. People are like, oh, yeah, follow your heart. Yeah, follow your calling. Absolutely. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, but, it, but it sounds like calling or not, you were motivated to, to do this, and you knew intrinsically this is what you wanted to do. Yeah, there was no other option. I mean, it was just, I mean, once I saw that rhino, it was the point of no return. So, so, so tell me, how many, you know, looking at poaching, what animals are subject to, to poaching uh, in, in Africa? Elephants and rhinos, you already mentioned. What else? Yeah, I mean, elephants and rhinos get the spotlight, but, I mean, you've got lions are in trouble. Um, giraffes are in trouble. Um, I mean, there's a whole slew of, of wildlife over there. And, unfortunately, a lot of it is, is being poached due to, you know, um, you know, traditional medical beliefs, you know, in Asia, you know, I mean, the United States is certainly not, you know, the most innocent when it comes to illegal wildlife trade, but, you know, they, they find something and they say, you know, you know, the rhino horn, it, 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 uh, it cures medical diseases or is, you know, um, you know, it's, it's an aphrodisiac or, or something like that. And then they'll, you know, powder it up, put it in a pill with Viagra and a capsule and give it to somebody and then they believe it. But, but anyways, yeah, I mean, they're, they're finding ways to 
to find or they're trying to find value in any animal parts that they can because it is an industry. You know, it is a criminal industry. It's one of the top five in the world, international crimes. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, you, I challenge you to find an animal over there other than, you know, like a buffalo or, or something that that isn't being poached. Um, sure. Uh, leopards are, are in deep trouble, too. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, it's top five international crime and that there's a huge industry. And then I know I've seen like, uh, you know, I've seen campaigns and stuff that say, like, when the buying stops, the killing can, too. And, you know, educate us on, like, where the where's the buying happen? I don't I wouldn't know how to get ivory. I wouldn't know how to buy ivory if I wanted it. Like, where is this happening? Sure. You know, um, it's interesting because I can walk out here in New York City on the streets and go find the ivory, you know, on Fifth Ave in a heartbeat. It's it's right in front of your face, you know, but if you're not looking huh. for it, you're not going to see it. But um, I saw a statistic and forgive me because I just got back from Africa and, and I don't focus on statistics all day. I just worry about the protection here. So sure. I got to educate myself since I've been back. But uh, one statistic that blew my mind was that 70 percent of the of the ivory trade of ivory is consumed by China and the U S is a distant number two. So, I mean, that kind of goes to show you where these, these animal parts um, are going. But I mean, to me, it's, it's, yeah, we gotta, we have to stop the trade, but if we put too much focus on the trade, I mean, you're talking about changing a culture. I mean, that a cult changing a culture in China is, I mean, good luck. So, right. Yeah. I mean, where we come in is, is the protection. I mean, I, I, I want to protect and then defend um, and educate the locals in Africa on why uh, these animals are so important to their communities and the livelihoods of their families, the well-being of their, their families. What's, what are, what are, you know, you mentioned the, the rhino horn being used as an aphrodisiac maybe. Um, what, what is ivory used for anymore? Like what are, what are these materials being used for? Ivory is just a status symbol in China. That's it. It's just gotcha. to look good behind, you know, on someone's mantle or at their office desk. It's it's a status of, of you know, luxury and wealth. So um, I just, that one's the most upsetting to me. I would I would immediately question someone's character. I and mean, maybe this is American culture, just the way that I grew up. But, like, if I walked in, like, to, a, to like, a job interview and someone's like, oh, yeah, it's 100% ivory. Like, how did you get that? Like, that... It's kind of shady. Yeah, and, <laughs> that, you, that you have that. You know what? And that's that's. I mean, I I agree with you. I mean, I think it's <laughs> it's pathetic, really, especially the prices that they're paying. But you know, that does go back to why it's so important to stop the trade or stop the demand. So we do need to change the culture. It's just right. You know, how long we've we been trying to change a culture in the Middle East? You know what I mean? And that's not happening. Yeah. So. So my. My first exposure to Vetpaw was um, an article that was done on Knessa yeah. uh, Johnson, and I'm sure. And then, of course, then there's several articles done on her. And the portrayal was, and I felt actually kind of bad for the organization because the portrayal was almost exaggerated, and I think it made people sort of roll their eyes a little bit. But the portrayal was that Knessa was over there, just like like Rambo style, taking out poachers. Yeah, and you stated at the beginning that that's not what you're doing. You're not over there mowing down poachers. You're actually training and assisting park rangers and other uh, entities over there. So to get a more better understanding about what Vetpaw is actually doing and what you and Knessa and the rest of rest rest of the team are actually doing in Africa, 
tell my audience what VetPod truly does when they're in country. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because um, yeah, we were in the uh, we were out in the bush in Tanzania when all this media stuff went up. Kanessa was a um, and I didn't know this because I you know I, I I vet people you know I search for them on Facebook before I hire them, but I certainly didn't know to look for a public figure page because she had done some some modeling um, jobs because she couldn't get a job in the tactical industry. I mean, it's testosterone driven. It's, it's all, it's primarily sure. men. And um, we needed a female anti-poaching trainer because we train many female rangers. There's a ton of them in Africa and they're very good at what they do. And we have to respect cultural boundaries. And, you know, we put out some things and, and tried to, to find a female anti-poaching instructor, but uh, we just couldn't find them. They, nobody, there were no female veterans coming to us, and she was very adamant about being on the team. Um, she was a mechanic in the Army, and uh, we, we need that because trucks break down in Africa. And, yeah. uh, you know, she went out and started getting us, you know, trying to get us sponsorships before we even told her she was on the team. And um, I saw a video of her doing some, some uh, instruction and whatnot, and she, she, she's very good at teaching, and she's a team player. And so... Um, but the pictures that she took, I think she did one for SI Defense and Scallywag Tactical, and she looks really cool. She is really cool. I mean, look at her. Absolutely. But, uh, so, you know, we don't own the, the rights to those those pictures. So when the media found them, um, they just kind of went nuts, and Reddit gave her the title Poacher Hunter, which is totally inaccurate. But, I mean, yeah. when you put that with the pictures, you know, people are going to run with it. So, you know, um, what we do is, you know, we go over and we evaluate. We watch. And we watch Rangers work, um, both out in the field, but also analyzing intelligence and, and then, you know, uh, exploiting it and, and finding ways to counter poaching instead of going out in the African bush, which is massive. Uh, why don't we size down the area of operation and go find these guys where they live or where they're conducting business or, you know, out in town? And that's had a lot of success. And I think that's really unique. It's a really unique relationship here fit uh for us with tanzania because tanzania is is really they may get a bad rap in the news and whatnot but um fact is that they're actually doing some remarkable things when it comes to an intelligence-led anti-poaching strategy and so we've really had a lot of success there but you know we do some basic ranger training so it can be marksmanship or medical training that's something that we really emphasize as medical field medical because um, I mean, when I got over there, Rangers had, you know, malaria pills that were 15 years old. Um, they had some Tylenol that was probably 20 years old in a shoebox. And that was their, you know, the extent of their medical training or, or treatment, you know, pack. So, um, but yeah, we do a lot of basic skills, you know, baby steps. You got to crawl before you can walk. And, and so that's where we start. And it's, it's done well. <coughs> Yeah. So what, what, I mean, do you find yourself in any sort of danger? I mean, this is clearly a dangerous industry and you're intervening in it. I mean, have you seen, have you, have you gotten any threats from poachers or their supporters or anything like that? Or have you gotten in, in any, any bad mixes? You know, um, we, uh, we do a lot of, of training before we go out with these guys for sure even before we just go and watch. Um, so 
So luckily, we haven't had any too dangerous of situations or, or been in too much danger. There's been a couple times where, you know, poachers or excuse me, rangers would knock on the front door of a poacher's house and, and go in and that guy's trying to run out the back to get his gun and, and come back and shoot the rangers. But, but um, you know, for us, ultimately, everything that we've done so far, um, park rangers have really bought into and they believe it and they follow it. And uh, so we've stayed relatively safe all things considered so what um so what what challenges do you face then other than the challenge of trying to you know the the, the goal of of stopping poaching at the source what what challenges are you seeing in in this training in the support whatever it may be sure i will say just to touch on the other subject i mean i have gotten some threats through my twitter page on occasion um, what kind of threats? I mean, you know, you you are messing with a, a criminal network, and you're, yeah. you know, so they're not going to threaten you in public in Tanzania because they are afraid that you're going to come after them. But, you know, but uh, you know, they'll they'll send me some threats, you know, some indirect or, you know, some encrypted messages here and there. But uh, yeah. it's been a while since I've gotten that. But, um, sorry, just touch on that that question one more time, the last one you had. Oh yeah, so like what um maybe both personally and professionally, you know, what challenges are you seeing come up maybe time and time again as you go through this process, whether it be the challenges of actually training and addressing the issue or the personal challenge of, you know, of being I can only imagine the 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 constant trips and the the education and stuff like that and maybe a lack of, you know, maybe you're not getting as far you're not advancing forward enough as you'd want to. Maybe that becomes discouraging. Like, what challenges are you are you facing? Uh, maybe week to week, month to month. You know, I think the biggest challenge so far. I mean, we are a, a very small nonprofit, and we're really new. I mean, we didn't start till, you know, officially till 2014, and it's you know not even halfway through to you know 2015 now. But yeah, you know, so of course you're always gonna as a nonprofit, any nonprofit, but especially a young startup, it's you know. Um, is funding is, is certainly it's difficult to do when you're in Africa. Um, but for me, I mean, it's, you know, I'd have to say the biggest challenge is, is Africa itself. And I mean, it is so much land. So if you go, you know, if you're in northern Tanzania and you need to go train, you know, rangers in southern Tanzania before they go out on, a, on an operation, it takes a long time to get there. And so you end up wasting a lot of time you know, driving and, and, you know, getting there. But I think the other thing would have to be that, you know, unfortunately the conservation world is, is very, very competitive between nonprofits. And when I started this, I don't see this as a competition in any way. I think everyone needs to work together. And so I, I've seen a lot of competition. There's, you know, you have a lot of these, these old school nonprofits over there that do great things. And when you're a new young nonprofit taking a new approach, um, I guess they view it as threatening. And so to me, I just want to help everybody that I can. If I can network with every organization over there to work together and fix poachers, poaching, then I'm going to do it. And uh, so that's come back to bite me here and there because I do take this really diplomatic and friendly approach of, of working together. But I mean, it, it, it's, you know, we're, we're supporting veterans and wildlife the best that we yeah. can in any way. So, um, it is difficult navigating, you know, two different causes and um 
especially one that's that's over you know an international operation so um we I like that you pointed out of the competition between nonprofits because I think that is even more I can see that even more clearly in the veteran space where everybody wants to be the organization that solves the veteran problems. And I feel like and I'm I don't I think it's different from industry to industry or like at least focus to focus, but in the veteran uh nonprofit community sometimes i think the competition is recognition and and credits if you will like you know being the organization that get that's you know we're the ones that are making you know a, a, a an impact on veteran suicide or veteran homelessness whatever and then you see some organizations where the competitive competitiveness comes out of like the co- competing for funds you know like if it, you're working together is great and, and we may accomplish more, but it may actually take away from the amount of funding that our organization gets. Which do you think is more true with the anti-poaching uh, scene? Do you think it's a competition for funding and support or credit and recognition? Sure. I think that, I mean, in the veterans community, I think it's, I think it's credit um, for sure. I mean, everybody, I see a lot of veterans now just, throwing out what they did in combat and this and that. And that's great. I mean, I'm not taking away from that. It's, I mean, combat is a difficult situation for anybody. And if you excel in combat, um, you know, you should be uh, awarded for that or given recognition or credit. But, yeah. you know, to me, it's I see a lot of venom that's spit in the veteran community. And it's, it's really unfortunate to me, especially when it comes between nonprofits. But that said, I mean, most veterans nonprofits are pretty receptive to us. Um, we don't really align with very many um, when it comes to how we operate because we operate in Africa. There's not, I can't think of very many that, that go over, if any at all, and do what we do. But I think in the conservation world, it all comes back to funding. Um, everybody's territorial. And I mean, when you look at it, you have primary NGOs that work in specific parks. And so they're all trying to get, uh, find new ways um, to get the credit so that because the credit is where is how you get the grants and the funding and um, whoever can announce first that they helped out in an anti-poaching operation uh, they feel like they're going to get the uh, the credit for it which results to money so sure I don't know if that makes uh, too much sense but no it does it, I imagine they, they both go hand in hand yeah for sure especially yeah. so in the conservation world because even if you're not getting the credit right away, getting the funding is almost social proof that there is something to be expected. Yeah, and I mean I get it because with the larger nonprofits, it you know it has to run like a corporation. I mean, sure. you've got hundreds of employees and you know a lot of assets that need to be paid for, and um, so I, I get it. I just you know I, I come at this from the heart, um, not to sound corny or anything, but it's my calling, like I said. So yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've it sounds like we have an idea of what maybe the answer to this question is, but maybe trying to look at a, a level deeper or or some, or another angle of it. What's inspiring you? What's getting you up every day? What's keeping you, you know, on your toes when it comes to poaching in Africa and stuff like that? You know, um that's a great question because, you know, I do deal with a lot of a lot of crap, I guess you could say, but what drives me is that first rhino that I saw with its face cut off and still alive. And then that, that first elephant 
that I saw with literally half of its skull cut off, laying there dead in the middle of the street with blood all around it. To me, that's what drives me. Um, and knowing that, you know, it's supporting terrorism is, it drives me. I mean, that, that affects the whole world. Um, and if we don't do this, if we don't save this wildlife, Africa is going to miss out on an entire economy, you know, an economic income, which is tourism, and it's still relatively untapped. And so yeah. a lot of people say Africa is the next battlefield, and, and I do agree with that if we're not careful. And so, I mean, ultimately, what drives me is, you know, when I have a day, I go home, I lay in bed, and I, I think about that rhino or that elephant, and uh, it just kind of motivates me to keep going. Yeah, Absolutely. So if anybody's been listening and they're motivated, they're inspired, they're like, man, this Ryan guy has got me going. I want to go fend poachers and stuff like that. How do they get involved with VetPaw? Yeah, if you want to help veterans to go and, uh, you know, assist park rangers in uh, anti-poaching operations to protect wildlife, you can go to vetpaw.org, V-E-T-P-A-W.org, um, and we have a donate uh page there. We're a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And uh, there's some other unique ways that you can support us through Amazon Smiles and some other shopping ways. You can donate a car. Uh, we, our director of partnerships is a Marine and he just gets after it when it comes to uh, you know raising money. So there's a lot of unique ways you can support us. <laughs> He said, like, bring, give us a car. Like, I can imagine you guys are just, like, getting all sorts of – we've got a margarita machine. I don't know why someone gave it to us, but we, we got one. We're, we're taking whatever we can get. Yeah. So, <laughs> you can literally donate a timeshare that results to income for us. There's all kinds of crazy ways that he's come up with. So That's very cool. Yeah. That's very cool. All right, Ryan. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I know my audience is, is really inspired, and, uh, you know, I think what you're doing is really cool. It's very different, and – uh, if anything, you know, I, I would as your as your as your organization continues to grow, I think that it'd be nice to see like an understanding piece come from it, where not only do we know what you're doing, but there's a little bit more substance on learning why, sort of like the stuff we talked about in the, in the episode today. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to to come on your show anytime. It's been a pleasure. Very cool. So I'm I'm Tim Lawson on behalf of. Lori, Carl, and the rest of us here are locked in Little Java. Right, See you next left, week. Right, left, right, left, march, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, march. When I want to give it, feel like quitting. Something keeps living inside me, keeps yelling. Tell me, push on, push harder past the limit. It's no time for the giving and stick to it when I'm giving them. It's my all and so they march for the sergeant. Ready to give it all up for the cause and just charge it. When I tell them to let it loose with the weapons, you blasting it down the mannequin, backing off what they never do. Never give up, not without a fight. Just to save a life, they would die, give their life. March, 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 march.